Let us pray. God, this day may we open our hearts and minds and lives to you. As we search your scriptures, may we seek to know you more deeply. Speak to us. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage today is a familiar one, and it's actually a little out of order. Uh, it, it traditionally would have come last week in the church calendar, and somewhere in my excitement to plan ahead, I got things misaligned. But it's interesting because I think the Spirit uh, uh, speaks through each of these moments as I looked at last week's passage, and I came this week to this passage. Uh, it's a passage that's familiar to us, hopefully, the baptism of Jesus, a short passage but a passage that has great meaning, great depth, great power to us. And it's one of those stories that perhaps we become so familiar with that we are tempted to pass it over. Imagine the scene, though. John the Baptist is there baptizing people. There are people watching, some who have been baptized, some who are waiting, some who are curious, some who are angry. And he's preaching this message of the Messiah, who is to come, encouraging people with gusto and with passion to repent this strong message, awaiting himself for this Messiah to come. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus goes to John and asks to be baptized. You see, the first problem here for John is that Jesus comes in an unexpected way. Much like the religious rulers, much like the Christmas story, Jesus comes in an unexpected way. And that's part of John's response. He had kind of hoped for perhaps a less humble coming of the Messiah, something perhaps more noticeable, more powerful. And so Jesus comes to John and says, baptize me. I get John's response. I'm sure we can all understand that, right? I mean, baptism is a wonderful and powerful thing. It, in, in my own experience, to be a part of that is so humbling. You feel so unqualified. Imagine for John, for Jesus to come to him. So John's response, I think, is a natural one. It's probably one I would have. And there's probably a lot of reasons for John's response. But it's not just about the identity of Jesus as the Messiah. You see, part of John's response that we see in the scripture is because it seems so odd to baptize this one, this Messiah, the one who is righteous, the one who is perfect, perhaps the one who didn't need to be baptized. But Jesus in this moment, reminds us, reminds John, that the gospel, as I mentioned last week, is universal. It's for all. That baptism, that the love of God, that the inclusion in God's family is open to and is for everyone. But it leads to a lot of questions. Why would Jesus choose, need to, ask to be baptized? Why? And there are more theories about this among scholars and unscholars than I could ever begin to recount. But as I was looking through these again, there were a couple that I found interesting. You know, in this time, really prior to this, we don't understand or hear much about baptism, but for a Jewish person to be baptized was unheard of. 
that the only folks that were baptized were those that were not Jewish, were not born into it, and converted to Judaism. So Jesus kind of turns the religious dynamic here upside down. Because we remember that Jesus was born into this Jewish culture. So that's probably one possibility. You know, another possibility as we understand the life of Jesus was perhaps his baptism was a way to identify with those that he was going to serve and to lead. To identify and resonate with us and our need for baptism, our need for cleansing from sin. We forget our need for that cleansing. I'll remember probably somewhere around halftime today for my need for cleansing. <laughs> Another possible reason for this is really, and one that we talk about a lot, is to model and fulfill God's pattern, to honor the Father, to model for us and to fulfill all that God has in store, that this is God's desire for us to be baptized, to embrace this promise that God has for us. And so perhaps this is part of the reason that Jesus embraces baptism. Perhaps another reason that Jesus embraces this baptism is a public embracing of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that that's part of what happens in our baptism. Not just in the moment we're baptized, but in each and every moment that we think about, reflect on, and celebrate our baptism. That it's an embracing of the Holy Spirit, an embracing of what God has for us, a trusting of what God has for each and every one of us. And so there are probably many reasons that we can theorize, but we're reminded that this baptism, that our baptism, is a sacrament. In our understanding in the Lutheran Church, there are two sacraments, baptism and communion. Sacraments are something that are just that, sacred, set apart, instituted by Jesus himself. Practices to be reflected upon, practices meant to be embraced. But there's a little more, because see, they're not just pieces of worship. Communion, the other sacrament, and baptism, they're not just little pieces of worship that we kind of just do. Traditions. They're so much more. You see, because the beauty of a sacrament is that it's beyond us. It's something that we could not possibly ever do on our own. As much as I want to trust and try and pray for the Spirit, I can tell you throughout my career, I've, I think it's possible to preach without God. Communion and baptism, not so much. Lots of preachers do that. It's possible for us to sing worship songs and play great music. We can do that. But these sacraments are something different. This is why communion is so important. This is why communion is to be the center of our service, that it is sacred, that it's something that we can't do on our own. But we're embracing what God has already done. You see, baptism is simply recognizing and embracing God's promise for us, God's promise to be a part of his family. Communion is simply remembering and embracing God's promises for us. It's not what we do. It's what God has done, what God continues to do. And so we practice and embrace these things as something much bigger than ourselves. And I don't know about you, but we live in a world where we often need something much bigger than ourselves. 
that whether from tiredness or from multiple things going wrong at once, which was my Thursday afternoon, we come to a point in our lives where we run out. <laughs> we run out of ourselves. We come to our limitations. And so the beauty is that we are not alone. That we don't have to create these sacraments, that we don't have to create our salvation or our relationship with God. These things are already there for us to embrace. That there's something deeper, there's something beyond us. So it's not just a tradition, you see. And it's not a bad idea for us as Christ followers, as church people, to go ahead and do and say and practice the things that Jesus did and said and practiced. If someone is worth imitating, it's Jesus. But something amazing happens in this passage, and it's kind of in verse 16 and 17. It's a rare moment. A voice from heaven is opened up. We see this in the scriptures from time to time. It happens. We don't see it often. You think of the parting of the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, the burning bush, these moments where we have something just so magnificent and undeniable happen. And this is one of those moments. I can't begin to imagine what that scene was like. Certainly some awe and some wonder, some fear. You think of the Christmas story and the shepherds and the star. And we don't know exactly what this looks like, but it says that heaven is opened and that the Spirit of God descended like a dove. Understand that the symbol of a dove is an important one. It's one of two used for the Holy Spirit, the dove and fire, what we celebrate in Pentecost. It's one of two symbols used. But imagine John, for example. He's been preaching and baptizing. He's having a good time. And Jesus comes and turns everything upside down. And he's proud. I'd be pretty intimidated. I'd be pretty scared of baptizing Jesus. You know, make sure you don't dunk him for too long, right? <laughs> and so he baptizes Jesus and pulls Jesus up. And then the heavens open up. What a moment. It's interesting because in this moment, we see the coming together, perhaps, of the Trinity. The Son standing in the water, having been baptized by John. The dove representing the Spirit. And then we have this voice from heaven, the voice of the Father. What a moment. Not quite like baptisms we have in church today, I would say. Can you imagine? That's what I love about these stories. Sometimes I just love to sit and to think and to imagine what that was like to be in that moment. But one of the most powerful aspects of this service, or this passage for me, comes at the end of verse 17. It's what the voice from heaven said. Look at these words with me. Hear these words. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is actually quite a profound statement. It's one of those half a verse is worth memorizing. All of them are worth memorizing, but this is really worth storing in our heart. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. I want you to understand that 
What's happening here at this beginning of Jesus' ministry journey is the Father is, of course, letting everyone know who Jesus is, the Messiah, his Son, which is good, great news for us. To everyone there, this is my Son. It's a moment of identity. It's a moment of claiming. But the Father says something very interesting there. With whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love, my beloved, to be loved. With whom I am well pleased. The pride of a father. The love of a father expressed. A commentary on Jesus' life to date. Probably a commentary on Jesus' life as it continues the righteous life that Jesus will live. But I want you to understand something else about this half a verse. This is not just a statement for Jesus. It's a statement for us as well. As hard as it is for me to believe in most of my moments of life, it's a statement for me. It's a statement for all of us, a statement for each one of us. That the Father, the God of the universe, that created it all, that makes it all happen, loves us. We are his children, and he loves us. But better yet, with us, he is well pleased. In our moments of frustration, in our moments of anger, in our moments of worry, of doubt, of fear, of our moments of ignoring God, in our moments of sin, of doing things on our own strength, in our moments of success and focus, in our moments of prayer, in our ordinary everyday moments. This God of the universe who created it all, the one, loves us as our children, and with us he is well pleased. What better thing to hear from a parent than you are loved and they are proud of you? Do you know That in the midst of our imperfection, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our forgetfulness, that the God of the universe loves us, is pleased with us, is proud of us, claims us as his own. That's the best news we can hear most of the time. That the God of the universe is pleased with us in our failed attempts to do it right, to be right. We are his beloved. With us, he is well pleased. And I think, maybe it's the natural German Swede in me, maybe it's that Lutheran guilt thing, I think this message we need to hear more often than we realize. We're well aware of the bad. We're well aware oftentimes of our shortcomings, of things that are not as they should be. And this is why, one of the reasons why this passage is so important to us, to remind us who we really are. Children of God. Children with whom God is in love, is well pleased with. Abby, my daughter, she loves to color pictures, as some of you know. And this has kind of grown as an obsession. And so she will color pictures nonstop. 
And, you know, she gets better every year. Um, and they're good, but she's not Rembrandt, okay? And uh, some of you have experienced this even in this church. She'll color these pictures. And, and you know, it was interesting. This came to me the other day as I was studying this passage, and it was just this really cool moment for me. Now, as a parent, you know, I can't tell you how many of these pictures I have, like a lot of these pictures. You know, we could have maybe gotten a smaller moving truck. And, and you know, as a parent, you know it's hard to throw these things away, right? Because the one time you do it, like the kid sees it in the trash can, and then you feel like the worst parent ever, okay? It's hard to throw these things away. In fact, I'm still sure my mother, all these years later, probably has some things that I've colored or created over the years. And so Abby is ferocious about this. She just loves to color. She's going to be an artist. I actually think she's going to be queen of the world, but artist, fine. And, and it, I always tell people, be nice. She may be president someday. And, and so she, you know, she makes these pictures, and, and you've all, like I said, some of you have received these, seen these. And it's, it's interesting because, like I said, they're not perfect, but the spirit in which they do, they're done are, is so endearing. This, this spirit of joy, this spirit of innocence, this spirit of love, this wanting to give, this wanting to create for another. You know what strikes me about that is? I think that that's a great image, a great analogy for our lives. That our lives to God probably look a lot like those pictures that Abby and that we have drawn and colored as kids. A little messy, a little imperfect, not exactly museum material, not exactly front page postcard stuff. Yet, the God of the universe looks at our lives much that same way. Understanding the spirit of the picture that we're painting with our lives in the midst of its imperfection and its messiness, our best attempt to express love, to express joy, a sense of innocence. And so, although in moments of my life I will get things right and will praise God and serve God well, and in other moments, whether behind the wheel of a car or in front of a football game, I will not please God and not focus well. That messy picture I create with my life, in the midst of my successes and failures, in the midst of my focus and not focus, is beautiful in God's sight. That my life, our lives, your life, although not exactly Rembrandt in terms of the picture we paint, is beautiful in God's sight, that God delights in that, that God delights in us. We, you and I, are God's children, children he loves, with whom he is proud, not disappointed, and well-pleased. As we reflect on the baptism of Jesus, may we be reminded of the picture that we can draw, that we can paint with our lives. And in our attempts to be who God has called and created us to be, may we always be reminded that we are his children and he loves that picture that we're painting for him. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for this word, for this power of baptism of Jesus that sometimes we don't understand, but yet was needed and important. But most of all, this message that you had for your son in that moment is the same message you have for us. We are your children, whom you love, with whom you are well pleased. God, help us to live lives, Lord, that make it easier for us to accept that you are pleased with us. And in those moments of failure and frustration and self-doubt, may we be reminded of the truth, that you love us, that you embrace us, that you are proud of us. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand.